Locked on NBA has more NBA draft coverage for you today with the mock draft in the rearview mirror. And thank you very much to Jeremy Wu for his incredible breakdown of all the players. Today we talk with the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks. The Ringers done a great job. Kevin O'Connor's built the mock draft. Their coverage has been fabulous. Go check it all out. Sharks is one of my favorites because he doesn't go with the flow. He has his opinions, has his thoughts on guys, and is willing to be a little different. And therefore, it, to me, he's a great guy to talk to 24 hours before draft night or so because everybody else is in herd mentality. So special thanks to Jonathan Sharks. Please send him a thank you on Twitter for joining us on the program. And here it comes, another Locked On NBA NBA draft extravaganza? Sure. It's just me and him talking. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Excited for this conversation. As I mentioned before, Jonathan Sharks and the whole Ringer crew has done amazing work. I like, uh, Jonathan, I want to tip my hat to you. Because I, I think that you're willing to not go with groupthink. Like, you have your own opinions, and you, I, I haven't gone back to track uh, whether you've been right or wrong over the years, but I, I've always admired your willingness this time of year to say, you know, this is just what I think. I might be wrong, but I'm willing to not follow the trends. Well, I appreciate you not tracking it. I've had plenty of mistakes over the years, but that's part of the fun of it. Like, I feel like in the NBA a lot of times, it's kind of obvious who's going to win, but the draft is really a challenge. It's not. It's hard to figure out. So it's a really good point. So let's just start there. What? Who are your top five? If you were in a draft board, general manager. Uh, Ooh, this is not, good. not a good. I don't know if this one go out well for me. <laughs> brings you to the front of the room, and you've got to present your top five guys. Who are you going with? Okay, um, I think to me the top tier is uh, Don Trish and Jaron Jackson. Those are my two guys in this draft. Love both of them. I think they're going to be great. And I think after that, I would say, I mean, I think Aiden and Bagley, there's a talent just too much to pass up. They're just so talented. I wonder about their defense, but, like, it's hard to pass on guys like that knowing they're going to put up huge numbers in the NBA. And I think if their defense comes in, they're going to be awesome players. And my sleeper this year is Miles Bridges. I like him a lot, the Michigan State guy. I think he's a little undervalued right now. That's interesting. I am Miles Bridges, so I've watched most of the players 20 to 30 because that's where the Jazz are picking, and I've watched a few. Miles Bridges is the player 10 to 20 that I've watched who I went, oh, the NBA game's going to change him. That, that's Yeah, this for sure. I mean, at Michigan State this year, they're very much old-school, two-post offense. It was not really how they play basketball in the league, for sure. Well, the weirdest thing is how much two-post basketball there is, right? I mean, you talk about... It's amazing. Ba- you talk about Bagley, but Bagley and Carter's two-post basketball, and then Duke didn't even go to four out when they subbed. They brought in another big. It's not even that. Um, A&M with Robert Williams, two-post basketball at the four. Arizona with Aiden, two-post basketball. All the best bigs are fours in this draft. Isn't that incredible? And so why is it that college basketball is still playing this clogged-up game and the NBA is just getting spaced more and more and more and more? Well, I think two things are happening. One, it's starting to change. The Final Four this year, Villanova's been killing people playing NBA basketball. I think Villanova's success, like any sport, you know, copycats, 
that'll change it a bit. And then two, it's just, it's a weird thing because like two years ago, you had Gonzaga and UNC, and you had the centers were Kennedy Meeks and Shemi Karnowski. Great college centers, but they have to stay in college for four years because they can't go to the NBA because the league has changed, right? Now you have 22-year-olds playing as 18-year-olds. So having an old-school post-center can be a real plus in college because you have an older, more experienced guy going up against a younger, thinner, smaller player. Let's jump back to Bagley for a second. He's universally thought of up at this level. There's some people I I know your colleague, I, I think uh, Kevin O'Connor has him awfully high. Yeah, he has Wendell. But he has Wendell over him, actually. No, he has Wendell. That's right. He has Wendell over him. I think uh, Gavoni over at ESPN has him going second to Sacramento. And then just the other day, we suddenly have Kevin Pelton coming out with the numbers on things. And Bagley's ranks like 50th in number, uh, 43rd, I think it was, he ranked by the numbers. Why, why is there this question mark floating around Bagley? Well, Bagley, it's just like, it's all about the fit into the league because he has these two glaring squat holes in his game. One, he doesn't play any defense at the rim. He doesn't block shots ever. So it's like he doesn't play at the rim if he has five. But then, two, he's an interior player mostly. He's got a little bit of a jump shot, a little bit of a handle, but he's mainly a guy who dunks the ball, gets the rim, and scores. So you're like, it's a weird mix of skills. And so, is he a four, is he a five? It's easy to see him not translating in the wrong situation. And when we talk about a guy like that not translating, 21 points, 11 rebounds, like, what do we mean that he doesn't translate? Like, he can't finish games? Well, put up that, but it's like, how do you build a team around him? You know, because he'll put up stats. He's such an athlete. He's so big. He's fairly skilled. But if you play him with another big man who doesn't space the floor, teams are just going to pack the paint on you. But you play him at the five, it's going to be layups to rim constantly on defense. So if we put up good stats on a bad team, it's, for him it's all about the fit, finding a place where it makes him the best version of himself because he's such a unique player. I mean, to your, so if we had put 19-year-old Ennis Cantor in college, if he'd played that year at Kentucky, he averages 20 and 10, right? Oh, easily, easily. Yeah, I mean, like, Bagley's like if Ennis was, like, crazy athletic. So a better prospect. But, but he can also kind of switch a bit. Just can he protect the rim? Can he space the floor? Right now, I can't do either. It's tough for guys like that. But I think with Bagley, if he goes to Memphis, it'll, be, it'll work out well for him and Marcus All. That's perfect for Bagley. That's a good point. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the one you love. You've been open about this. Uh, by the way, I would like to let you know that I've gone, I went back and listened to every Friday edition. Of. Hey, there you go. Give us those listens. I like I it. Did. They're all old listens. I just I just went and created a playlist during the year, and then once it was over, got on my road bike and went for my 40-mile rides and just listened to you guys talk and talk and talk. Huh. Um, so I was intrigued. I went and watched Jackson because I was watching Bridges and Michigan State was probably playing someone else. I'm going to watch him again tonight because I want to watch uh, 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 Bates uh, Diop some more out of Ohio State, so I'm going to watch that game. So, oh, yeah, that was a good game. That was a good one. So other than the fact that I can't stop thinking that Jaron Jackson is Marvin Williams because they move the exact same and he wears number two, <clears throat> I will say he passes the test that if you're watching a college game, I always think if you're going to see a really good NBA player, it should be obvious to you who that guy is. He jumps off the screen regularly when you watch Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think... With Jackson, I mean, the basic thing, he's actually per percentage, he's blocked the most shot percentage-wise since Anthony Davis in college. So he's great, incredible defensive player, got the jumper. It looks a little, it looks a little wonky, I will say that. That's like the big question mark for Jaron. 
it, it's like a push shot a bit, but he makes such a high percentage. You're like, you know, man, as long as it goes in, whatever. But I think also with Jaron, that team he was on didn't show his offensive game, really. He was actually an elite post scorer. He just got very few touches this year because he was a very good team. Wendell Carter's really interesting to me because he jumps off the screen, too. I mean, he's one of the great rebounders I've seen in a college game. I mean, he talk about owning your own space. His post drop step and movements around the basket are great. His explosion's quick. But then I start to then I start to wonder if any of the skills that he's so great at actually matter right now in the NBA. Is that a fair question mark? Yeah, I mean, he's really skilled. I would say of all the bigs, he's the most skilled big man. But yeah, cuz the thing about Carter and Bagley to extent Duke actually played zone this year because those two guys have been killed pick and roll over the course of the season. Like actually, Jerome Robinson, a guy that everyone's talking about now, Jerome Robinson made his name against Duke. He put up like 30 points because he got Bagley Carter in screens and just killed them. And that's a question about both those guys. In a screen, how are they going to hold up? The uh, And then uh, you said that Luca's your guy. What's, are you, so, you think he should be the number one pick? Yeah, probably. I mean, just what he's done. I just think to me, like, I just think Luca's like an elite version of Joe Ingles, who's awesome. Like, imagine Joe Ingles he was like an All NBA player, like just a bigger, faster version of that. Like, I, I love the guy. So the concern I'm hearing, we've become this switching league, and Luca can't beat guys one on one. Doesn't have a wiggle. Doesn't have the ability to go by guys on the bounce. Fair criticism. I mean, this it's fair. It's fair, but the thing about it is, he's six eight two thirty at eighteen nineteen, and he's never been in a gym on a weight room. If European guys don't do um, strength and conditioning, I put that in big air quotes if you know what I'm saying. So like, he'll be so big it won't even matter with bully guys. That's the thing about the people don't get. Luca's huge. He's not like a guard really. He's a powerful to love point. I haven't watched a lot of him, but I went to coffee with Igor Kakashkov every morning on the road last year. And so there were plenty of conversations about him. And the comment that he made was made unteachable plays. That he. I mean, in terms of passing, he's so much fun to watch. He just. Yeah. I mean, that was what he talked about. Just things nobody could ever teach him that he just feels and was able and plays he's able to make. And, and you don't have. Yeah, it's the pick and roll stuff. Unreal. Like, watch that guy with pick and roll for five minutes. It's incredible. So, what are we, by the way? Are we a pick and roll league? Or has we become so much of a pick-and-roll that everyone's just going to switch it and we're not a pick-and-roll league anymore? Well, I guess that's the, uh, right, that's the question. I think at the highest levels. But I think Luca, if, if you switch that screen too much, he'll just post you up. That's what he has in his bag because he's just so big. I think that's really going to be his. Because if you go to a switchy league, then a six guy who posts up is pretty valuable. Everything has been positive thus far in our conversation with Jonathan Sharks, but that's not the reality of an NBA draft. We'll talk about the other side of this picture when we come back with more with the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks. So let's go back to Miles Bridges for a second um, because we're kind of now moving into the middle of this draft, 10 through 20 area. I do agree with you 100% that he's the guy I've seen that kind of jumped out to me as, oh my gosh, he's going to be a better NBA player. He can switch probably one through four, maybe even strong enough to do one through five and hold his own uh, a la P.J. Tucker. Uh, op- floor opens up. The one concern is big-time two-foot jumper. Is that – that used to be 
a real problem if you brought that second foot down in the amount of time it took to get shots off in the post. Do you think he can just unlearn that, or are you not as worried about that because of his strength? I mean, it's a concern. I don't know. Like, didn't Mitchell, that was a knock on him, right, coming out. But Mitchell's obviously a freak. Wasn't he a two-foot jumper coming out of college? He was. But people are, like, kind of down on him a bit. He, he was. I mean, obviously, Mitchell, you don't want to get too into that because he's such a unique player. But I think with uh, Miles, it's a concern. But I think he'll find a way to get it, make it work. He's a smart player. He's very skilled. He was great to him in college. I think that translates over time. I think, I mean, it's a concern, but, like, I don't think it'll hold him back too much. When I watch McKen- – now, the reality here, by the way, for everybody, if you want the numbers on it, and I- this is what I'll tip my hat to Kevin Pelton. I thought he did a a wonderful job in his feature where he did the top 30 draft prospects, percentage chance to be an all-star, percentage chance to be a starter, percentage chance to be a role player, and percentage chance that they're all a bus. Because the fact is that two of the top ten guys every year don't pan out. They don't become rotation players. And you're at about 47% – of all players from 11 to 30 never become regular rotation players. So this is, you know, we're, we love everybody right now. We're coming off such an incredible draft, but that's not the reality. Who in your, uh, the most likely guys taking the top 10 are you most concerned about, Jonathan? Huh. Let me think of, uh, in terms, I mean, obviously Porter with the health thing. I mean, that's, that's a given. I think in terms of guys who could, I worry a bit about Sexton. I worry a bit about Lonnie Walker. Just guys, who, you worry like if the jumper doesn't come, are they? Can they make it work for themselves? Other than that, I think Bridges. I think Floor. That's a good question. I mean, you have to go like case by case basis, and a lot of it's like where they get drafted, what kind of role they have. But I think any, you always like what's your what's your fallback skill, right? So if you're a guy who just shoots it and the shots not there, then you have no fallback skill. I mean, I would say probably Sexton in terms of the guys who can go top ten. Sexton, by the way, this year, and, and hey, he's a point guard. He's probably not going to do a great deal of catch and shoot. Ten of thirty-four on catch and shoot. Point eight eight. The only player projected in the first round worse than that is Troy Brown. His interesting. His off the bounce shooting was point nine six points per shot. That's not great. It's not terrible. Tony Carr is a second round pick. Is worse. Shea Gilgis Alexander's worse. Aaron Holiday, interestingly, is worse. He's point eight eight points off the off the bounce. Aaron Holiday, forty one of one twenty five this year on jump shots. That's not good. Um, Lonnie, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Holiday. Lonnie Walker on your end, off the bounce shot, eighteen of seventy. It's point six. So I will say with Lonnie, it's it's all context, right? With Lonnie, like he tore his meniscus, came slow back didn't have a point guard. It's just all about it's I mean, so much of it like bust and that like what kind of role will you have in the team in the NBA, you know? It's so situational. Unless you're like a transcendent player, maybe like one of those in a draft or two. Everyone else is like what role do we have, who are your teammates? Because it changes fast in the NBA, you know? Like look at Kevin Love in Minnesota, Kevin Love in Cleveland. He's the same guy, but he's not. It's all about the context. I will say the one that has me um you know Concerned, I think he'll be fine. You know, he'll probably be fine. But when I watch uh, Mikel Bridges, I see a lot of Wesley Ma- Wesley Johnson. Interesting, interesting. And, and if you go back and look, yeah, they have the same kind of frame. Yeah, the same frame for sure. And if you go back and look, Bridges hit forty three point five percent of his threes in his last year. Wesley Johnson hit forty one point five. 
Um, and it's a little bit of what you just said, Jonathan, in the sense of what's your fallback skill? So if his shot's not going or he can't get it off quite as much, is there a bounce off the bounce game for him? Is there a um, isolation game for him? Is there a pick and roll game for Probably him? Probably not. No. I mean, his, his second skill would be coming off screens like a corporate type. Though, to be fair, Wesley Johnson played Zone in college. That's really tough. Those Syracuse guys, man, it's pretty poor tra- tra- translation to the league. What? What's your thought on the uh, both the Syracuse guys we don't have this year? What's your thought on that crazy note? You might have even been the one who tweeted it out about Kentucky, how they have like none of their guys have actually spent any time in the NBA Finals. That wasn't me. That's that's interesting. I, I have to think about it. I don't know. I, I, what was the what was the stat? So it's. I mean, I I I have to find it again. But basically, if you just kind of run through this whole run of Kentucky guys, that has been coming out year after year after year under Calipari. I don't think any of them have played an NBA final minute yet. Interesting, but at the same time, it's like, what, LeBron's taking up half? When I'm playing LeBron's going to make the finals, you know? There's not very many spots in the finals with the Warriors and LeBron out here. Right. right? They've been four last four years. They've been all covered up. That, that, I think that is probably the best uh, point. But it's an interesting idea that they, that group just hasn't, hasn't busted through quite the way they're so skilled that everyone expected, um, has expected them to. Middle of the pack guys. So we talked about Sexton, we've talked about Bridges, we've talked a little bit about Walker. One of the most interesting is Zaire Smith. Talk about a guy that jumps yeah. off the off the screen. I mean, he's like forty eight percent of his rebounds are off. I mean, he literally right. Jumps off the screen. Okay. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> but like, what is his game? It's really tough to say. So I wrote about this on uh, Friday. So his offense in college, they ran a Bobby Knight motion offense. It was like the Warriors, but even more kind of old school. It was pass cut, pass cut, you know, post passing, backdoor cuts, little dribbling, not much shooting. Like he played a very like 1970s offense. He rarely ever dribbled or shot the ball. He got six for four. You wonder. It's a weird thing because on one hand, he was very much a smart player. For a guy that athletic, he had a very good feel for what to do in the pass. But he just didn't do very many NBA things. So he's a massive kind of wild card. It's an, it's a, I would not have the, if I was a GM, I wouldn't have the guts to pick him. Yeah, he's a role, he's a role of the dice. But like, he's probably, like, the things he does well, I would say unteachable. He's probably the best shot blocking guard I've seen since Dwayne Wade. In terms of, that guy destroys shots. Like, you just jump off the, like, literally, you out your chair, like, that was incredible. That man, Athletically, is just let me be in the league next year. I mean, actually, that's a really interesting question. Are you trying to draft the unteachable, or are you trying right? Because you're absolutely right. Everything Zaire Smith doesn't do is coachable. You would think, right? Like, hopefully, you could teach him. Yeah. To shoot, I guess he only took forty threes all year. I mean, he really doesn't. He doesn't have an offensive game really necessarily. He ran, like I think he ran. Something like eight pick and rolls all season long, because of what you're talking about with their motion offense, and he took 38 catch and shoot shots all season long. So I mean, there's just yeah, I, for me, it's all about like I want to get him somewhere. Like I think we're gonna talk about situation. If you if he goes somewhere they're like oh you're a two guard run pick and rolls off screen, still be useless. But like get him in like Denver with Jokic, just throw alley oops, you know, like something like that. For him, it's all about situation. I think. And do you? Th- how, what have you found, when can we tell if a guy can really defend in the NBA or not? You need a few years. I'd say probably the end of his rookie contract. 
That's why, like, most young players don't help winning teams. It just takes, even if you got the athletic ability, it just takes a long time to figure out, you know, the mental side and to learn about NBA players. So much better just learning guys' games. And there's so very few of them who, if they have offensive success early, also have any defensive prowess. If you kind of watch it, the guys who end up having becoming good defensive players are often guys who the offensive game became more difficult than they expected. Right, so Marcus yeah, Smart, the lane for themselves. Yeah. Wesley Johnson, another reference to the first time ever in a podcast, NBA podcast, Wesley Johnson. <laughs> um, but right, he's now thought of as a defensive player. Well, yeah, right, because he can't shoot. Um, Marcus Smart is the probably the most impactful wing defensive player in the league. Um, you know, Royce O'Neal for the Jazz has become this great defensive player, right, because he had didn't have the offensive skills to get drafted, so then he becomes. But you, it'll be interesting to see if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, as they become offensive forces, if they maintain a defensive presence. Well, we'll see how it goes with Boston when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward get back. That's going to be so much fun, interesting to watch. Yeah, you know, how those roles change. You know, those guys are going to come in like playoff Jason Tatum. I don't think. Well, the number one thing I've been told in my 25 years covering the league, that hurts me whenever I say that, cause, but i got to get over it. I, I just got back from my 30th high school reunion, so I probably should get over these, these numbers. Uh, the, is the 25 years in the league, I learned this early and often, and it's turned out to be true, and that is no player will sacrifice for a team until they've established their own personal value. And yeah, it makes it makes total sense. And it's probably true in all aspects of life, but that's what's going to be interesting about the Celtics because they have a bunch of guys who haven't established their personal value. And I'm not sure that Gordon Hayward, even though he's got a max contract in his mind, has established his personal value because I think he wants to prove he's a perennial all-star. So you really have Al Horford, who's established who he is. Kyrie probably is still trying to prove he can be the man. You've got Brown, Tatum, way in the process of a style. I mean, it's, that's a pretty fascinating chemistry mix that Brad Stevens is going to have to be able to keep together. Well, for sure. That's why I like the whole Oklahoma City thing. I always say, was James Harden really going to be happy being a sixth man for like his whole career? I don't think so. Like, James Harden's like, I'm the MVP. Give me a team. Like that, at some point, that was just going to happen. I 100% agree with you. I actually think this is the Thank you, Jonathan. This has been my complaint. The issue is not that they traded James Harden. The issue is that they didn't trade Russell Westbrook. Looking back on it now, I mean, looking back on it now, it's, I mean, clearly. But, you know, at the time, it was controversial for James Harden. Imagine the trade of Westbrook at the time. It had, that was a tough spot. All right, let's get the back half of the draft here as we continue with Jonathan Sharks, the ringer. Ringer's done a great job. Kevin O'Connor's piece, I mentioned it early uh, in the podcast, but I'll mention it again. Uh, NBA Draft. The ringer has great things, and then go over the left-hand side and click on the deep dive, and you'll get all the information you want. All right, this is the part of the draft I really know. There's some interesting guys. I'm pretty intrigued by Grayson Allen, Jonathan. What's your take on him? We've talked a lot. Of, we actually were talking before this podcast. I think I'm coming around on him. I think he was asked to be more of a point guard at Duke the last few years when he's really a two guard. I think that was part of where his struggles came from. But to me with Grayson, it's almost not even a basketball evaluation. I, I've just never seen what he did in college done before. So hopefully that was just behind him now. Whatever that was about with the tripping is done. I just don't 
it's a weird situation, man. I don't know about that one. Would you would you be very reluctant to choose him as a GM because of it? Um, I just think there are other guys in his range who I'm more comfortable with. But I think the talent is there. Like to me, that'll be one I don't want to talk to him for a long time. But that's like let's talk for like two hours about life, man. Like, let's use your head, you know? Because the talent is there for sure. The talent is definitely there. And what do you think the tripping thing was? That I really don't understand that. I, so I don't like. I played basketball in the game my whole life. I've just never seen. Like one time, sure it happens. Because I'm not sure it's even malicious. I just don't understand what that was about. So I'm ignoring all of that stuff, and I shouldn't be when I talk about how much I like him. Because what I look at is in a clogged floor, he was able to drive. When he's off the ball, he's that first step is quick enough. He's a pretty good shooter. He actually missed a ton of open looks last year. That's why his numbers aren't better. And I would assume that he'll figure those out, particularly when he gets to shoot more. I know he's old, but I don't care at 21 or 24 or 27 in the draft. I don't care that you're old. I, now you're, Mal, now you're uh, Brogdon of Virginia or Jason Hart of Villanova. You're old and you just work for me as a rotation player late in the draft. He can easily play the one or the two. So, in other words, he can mix... Like, we did our Locked On Podcast Network mock draft. He went to the Warriors. Like, how perfect is that? He can play with Steph, with yeah. Clay. He can do anything. Uh, and the other- I think one of those guys were like, playing with better players might be good for him, where he's not the primary ball handler anymore. And if you go back to his sophomore year, that's the last time Duke played four out. And he was pretty, yeah, good, that, he was pretty good that year. That was the year with him and uh, Ingram, right? Yep. So the next draft for that, they had, they have, that was the Tatum, Luke Kennard year. Yep. Yeah, then they fought a lot of teams, man. It gets weird. Duke is crazy these days. Who are the guys you, when you say there are other guys there that you like more, who are they? Um, two, I think, combo guards. I mean, there's three. There's four combo guards in that range. They're all pretty interesting in different ways. There's DiVincenzo, the uh, NCAA hero we all know. The Big Ragu, the MJ of Delaware. I feel like he's a lot like Grayson tough shot maker, pretty athletic, and handle it past a little bit. There's DeAnthony Melton, who we haven't seen play since two years ago from USC. He's a great defensive player, great instincts, very smart player. He's a jumper there. And there's Bruce Brown in Miami. He had a top 15 pick last year, but he broke his foot this year, didn't really get it together. Those guys are all in the same general range in the late first. They're all kind of in different ways. I go back for them all the time. And who, if you had to choose of those four, who are you taking? Oh, I'd, I'd probably take Bruce Brown. I think he's going to be pretty good. I think Brown would have been a Toscan pick last year. Comes back. Team wasn't that good. Hurt himself. The great passer, good defender. I think the jumpers there. I, I go with Bruce Brown probably. That's I think it. he's got the most NBA body. Like I love guys with NBA bodies who can guard multiple positions. I think that's so big late in the first round. Because if you guard more positions, you can get on the floor. That's the biggest thing for these guys is getting minutes. And that comes with playing defense. What's your thoughts on DiVincen- uh, DiVincenzo? Uh, DiVincenzo? Uh, I'll, I'll get it right before, by the time he plays his first <laughs> NBA game. I really wish he'd go back to school because his role in college is to come in the game and just take shots and be an energy guy. He was never really asked to run a team. And so the question is if he's going to be a starter, he's not very big for a two-guard. Can he really run a team? It's possible he can. But I think he'll stick in the league for sure as a combo guy off the bench in the worst-case scenario. But... I wonder if his ceiling – he's a guy who could have a high ceiling because he was never asking more than a combo guy off the bench in college. It's hard to evaluate. He's never had a primary role in offense. When I ran the numbers 
by far and away the best shooter on catch and shoot, which I think is still a very important part of the NBA, is Landry Shamit out of Wichita State. Interesting. He was 56 of 110 on catch and shoot and averaged 1.5 points per possession. I mean, that's big time. Yeah, I think Shamit's a guy, like what Grace and Eleanor are talking about, where he needs to play off the ball. He was a point guard at Wichita State. I don't think he's dynamic enough to create shots for others. So he's playing off the ball. Then the question is, if he's playing off the ball, can he defend at a high enough level to stay on the floor? That's what it comes down to for most of these guys, especially if you're going to draft to a good team, right? If you're going to draft on a good team, you got guys like Royce O'Neal for like playing, fighting for your job. You've got to be able to defend a little bit pretty early in your career. Otherwise, you're never going to play. And then when we get to playing off the bounce, the best is Jerome Robinson out of Boston College. That guy gets buckets, man. Jerome Robinson is a crazy good scorer, but I'm not sure if he's going to defend anybody. But I like his offense again. He gets buckets for sure. And what's your thought on Kevin Herter? Ooh, man, he's risen fast. I think he might be the best shooter in this draft. He's a fantastic shooter. He's so big. It feels like he'll find a role for himself. It's, 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 you don't do the Corver comparison so lazy, but it's not a Kyle Corver his game. He's huge, great shooter. I feel like there's got to be, you know, honestly, I, I thought he reminded me a little bit of Gordon Hayward at Butler. Wow, interesting. Not, not the all, interesting. And, and numerically the biggest difference is that Hayward went to the free throw line a ton. And Herter didn't go to the free throw line, but a lot. But the the and I, we're talking about the college Gordon Hayward. That's not this because you know, Herter's a better passer than Corver was, and I think still is. And his one on one game, which actually was crazy successful, Herter I, I think according to Synergy is the number one isolation player in the league. Not a lot of attempts, but is that kind of wow? That's interesting. I didn't realize that that drive right. Drop step you left, step back, fade, right? He's not, it's almost, he's not going, he's not like driving you to the rack to get fouled, but because he's so big and he's a pretty good handle, he's using footwork in the paint to be able to go get shots, which he probably will be able to do in the NBA. You know, it's interesting. They did the numbers on it, but his coach, his players have outperformed their draft stock more than just about anyone, uh, any player. Mark Turgeon, and, and Turgeon's not an example of a coach who likes the kind of too big traditional offense. Doesn't really spread the floor very much. So there's, there, there could be something there for sure. He's an interesting guy. Kevin Pelton uh, requires that I mention his name at least four times to all podcasts. All right. And I think I'm at three. So he has Trey Young as the number two stats player in this draft. What is your thoughts on Trey Young? Wow. Oof. I think with Trey... I wonder if, in a way, his early success... It's just such, such a unique player because most guys in his game, the kind of smaller, undersized guards, they stay in school a long time. Like, Steph Curry stayed three years. I think CJ McCollum was four years. And he's going to be thrown to the wolves right away. I think the shooting... I think the shooting and passing will translate. I just wonder, in a playoff series, how is he ever going to guard anybody? That's, I just can't... My, I can't get, get past that. But even Steph is a very small, slight guy. He's way bigger than Trey Young. You know, Steph, that's a great point. Steph's big. And I here's what my general – I'll leave – this is probably good because this is my number one rule on all draft stuff, and we can end on this. I get very nervous when your only comp is a Hall of Famer. Well, I got a comp for you. I, I, think, I think that's unfair, Steph. How about Mo Williams? I think he can be Mo Williams. That's probably pretty good. That's, that's – 
Mo Williams was tough mother, though, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think that kind of career, I think, is more Trey's lane than a Hall of Famer. I think that's that, tough. I think that's a good comp. The other one that I love, my favorite Mo Williams is uh, story of all time, was a coach who told me, um, well, it doesn't matter what you call, because when there's six seconds on the shot clock, the play is dribble 25. That's when he wore number, <laughs> that's when he wore number 25. Time for dribble 25. Mo Williams going one-on-one. Yeah, I he, think with Trey, it's the same way. Like, if Trey plays with LeBron, Tyco put up crazy numbers in the regular season. But if he gets people into the playoffs, that size on defense, I just, I just I can't get past that if I'm, how high he's going to go in this draft just with his size. I just can't get past it right now. My favorite uh, – whole thing on the ringer by the way i gotta tell you is the colin sexton shades of have you seen who kevin o'connor put for the shades of colin sexton uh not top of my head i've, I've forgotten what it, who it was eric bledsoe patrick beverly marcus banks marcus banks there's a name <laughs> those deep pulls right there i love it marcus banks i forgot about it and what i admire about that by the way is like back to the point where we started like a lot of these guys don't make it, right? Like, a lot of these guys don't make it. And so Marcus Banks was a big-time pick. Um, anyway, well, we could go forever. By the way, uh, I have to just to share with you one of my other personal fans. I'm, I'm a Melvin Frazier fan. I think he might be Tony Snell. But I think he's a, he's got second-action athleticism that will allow him to play on October 18th. I can see that. He has the tools. There's no question about that. The tools are there. And my other final question, because I have another, is there any chance that Mo Wagner can become Kelly Olenek? Uh, there's a chance. I think Olenek was a better shooter in college than Wagner. I mean, Olenek was, that guy was money. It's, I actu- mean, it's actually the opposite. If you go back, I looked really? at, I looked at wow. it, and I don't mean to correct you, but I happened to look at it the other day. because no, I was asking please my, do. Please so do. Kelly Olenek shows... Kelly Olenek's college numbers show no sign of him being Kelly Olenek. Like, it, it was really? all draft workouts, because I actually went to one of his draft workouts, which was, he was great, and he shot it. Um, but if you go back, his, his junior year, he played three years at Gonzaga, he takes 33s the entire year. Goes 9 of 30. I guess, wow, that's that's stunning, but I guess, you know, I've been chanting fighting soon in college either. I think the league, like, college is changing too, the league is changing. More and more guys are shooting. That's that's interesting. I didn't realize that. There, all right, I, I've revealed all my bottom-of-the-draft guys that I'm all into this year. That was a good one, though. That's a, that's a, good, that's a solid style. I like it. And now when none of them pan out, everybody can remind me in a year. And I promise you, Jonathan, as we started with us, I will not remember what you said a year from now. I just hope we talk again. <laughs> well, that was a good one, man. All right, thanks. Appreciate the time. Keep up the great work. Tip of the hat to the draft work at the Ringer by you and the staff and the Friday podcast were fabulous. Hey, actually, I have a question for you before we get out of here. Yeah. So what do you think about the Bamba-Gobert comparison? And where was Gobert when he came to the NBA? And, like, when you get a Gobert comp, what, like, jumps out to you when you hear that? You better have an unrelenting desire to be great. Mm-hmm. That is the driving force of Rudy Gobert. Is that for a seven footer, he is obsessed with being great. And so, traditionally, seven footers don't play as hard as Rudy Gobert. Right? Yeah. That's an often bomb a lot of times, is that, is that exact thing. 
So if Mo Bamba is going to be Rudy Gobert, not only does he have to have Instagram pictures with eight squares on his stomach for everyone to see all the time, but he has to be willing to work at an unrelenting level toward greatness and commit to try. That's Rudy. And a little bit of yeah. that's why the Jazz are better both the last two years than anyone thought they would be. Because he's just completely, I mean, so this is, we're now into my, you're into wheelhouse for me. But I feel like, I see, I think Rudy Gobert is one of the ten best players in the league. And people, people think I'm crazy. But if you look at seven of the eight remaining playoff teams in the semifinals, were top five either offensive or defensively. The only team that was not was New Orleans, who played a team in the first round that was not. Okay? Mm-hmm. So someone had... Now, who are the players in the NBA that the minute they're on your roster, you're in the top five either offensively or defensively? Yeah, there's not many guys, for sure. Right, and Rudy's one of them. Like, Rudy's on your roster, you're a top five defensive team. What do you think about, like, at that level, though, with, like, Houston and Golden State, do you worry that, like, that, that kind of, like, those five-out teams kind of, like, make them a little more neutralized? And I think do you that, buy that? Yeah, I actually do buy that. And so if you're dominant against 27 teams and less dominant against the two best teams, I still think you're top 10 in the league. Mm-hmm. Right? That's fair. There's a lot, like, James Harden, frankly, is less good against the Warriors than he is because they switch everything and he can't play pick and roll coming down to Capella. Right? That's true. That's very true. And so if that's the standard by which we're going to devalue someone, that's fine. I don't disagree with it. But I think that, you know, I don't think that knocks you out of the top ten. There's a lot of guys that look less good against the Warriors and Rockets. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Jonathan, love it. We could go for hours some other time. We yeah, good talking to you, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Well, that gives you even more draft stuff to chew on. Tomorrow, Jake Madison and John Corrales will give you a Thursday edition of Locked on NBA with the draft coverage. Anthony Irwin and Adam Modis will be ready for you on Friday as each and every day we bring you Locked on NBA. Hope you enjoyed the mock draft. If you haven't got it, we've got five shows for you taking you through every pick with the experts, the local experts on the biggest stories in Jeremy Wu's draft breakdowns. Hope you're doing great. Thanks very much for taking the time with us here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.